One of the things I love uh, is uh, receiving handwritten letters uh, or cards, you know, in the mail. Don't you? You love receiving those, those handwritten notes and, and letters in the mail. I mean, it, it's so much personal, much more personal than email or even just e- by text messages, you know? Um, you see the other person's handwriting, knowing that um, they took the time to uh, write out the, each word and then take the time to fold the letters and then place them in the envelopes and put a stamp on them and place them in the mailbox. <laughs> but listen, I got to tell you, I got some advice for you. If, if you don't have time to uh, do all of that or the energy to do all of that, you can still send someone a handwritten letter. Um, Kind of, that is. Um, (laughs) Nowadays, there are online services that uh, will do it for you. In fact, all you need to do is log into a service um, like Handwritten. um, That's written, W-R-Y-T-T-N. And uh, you can uh, type in what you'd like to say. Choose your preferred script that you would like to have on your your letter or note, and the handwriting robots will write out the words for you and send the letter for you in the mail to your loved one. Um, In fact, for an extra fee, um, some services will even mimic your own um, handwriting style. Others um, will include a smudge or an ink blot to give your letter just a a more um, authentic touch, you know? Um, Writing a handwritten letter is now as easy as just, you know, sending a text message. <laughs> as one customer says, to me, it's the, it, it, it's the same. Whether a robot writes it or I do, what matters is what I was thinking, that I was thinking of them. Of course, others disagree with that. Um, others think that this service is a way to fake authenticity. Yale professor Ellen Spitz says, it seems like a complete betrayal. Handwritten notes are special precisely because they are intimate, because a part of your body is actually touching the paper, uh, creating a personal connection. (laughs) Personal communication is important, don't you think? And it doesn't get any more personal, any more intimate, I think, than Jesus, God's son in the flesh. When God decided to reveal the the fullness of his love for us, for humanity, he he didn't ask someone else to go and do it for him. (laughs) No, instead he sent his own son in flesh and blood. Now I bring this up this morning because I think it's easy for us um, these days to overlook the human nature of Jesus. I mean, I, I would guess that most of us, if I went through and asked you personally whether you believe this truth, that Jesus was both um, God and man, you'd say, yeah, I, I, I believe that. But here's my question. How well have we grasped that truth? Let me give you a simple test. Do you pray? And when you pray, do you believe the Lord Jesus Christ knows what your life is like? Does he get you? (laughs) Does he know where you're coming from? Listen, when you are tempted, 
Do you feel that you could come to Jesus and say, hey, Jesus, I, I know you know what this is like. When you're afraid, you feel like you could say to Jesus, listen, Jesus, I, I know you, you've been here too. <laughs> See, w- w- when we face trouble, right, um, we turn away from people who don't know what it's like to go through what we're going through. And we end up turning to those who have been there, those who have experienced what we have experienced. And the greatest test, I think, for us, whether you really understand the humanity of Christ, is whether or not you turn to Jesus when you face difficulty. Do you see him as someone who understands what you're going through, someone who knows what it's like? One of the first major heresies that rose up in the early church was the belief that Jesus, the Son of God, did not have a human body. It was called docetism, based on a Greek word which simply means to seem. <laughs> um, the teachers of this philosophy, what they did was they claimed that uh, Jesus only seemed, quote, unquote, to have human flesh. That Jesus only appeared, quote, unquote, to actually have a human body. To them, the idea of the Son of God having a human nature, I mean, that was repulsive. I mean, how could God, the almighty, sovereign God, stoop so low as to get bound up with something as earthly and as embarrassing as a human body? (laughs) I mean, think about it. Toenails that needed clipping, a nose that needs blowing, hair that gets out of control. The idea that God could get caught up with all of that was just too gross for them to contemplate. And I think for many of us, the same thing might be true. To combat these false uh, teachers, the Apostle John, in his first letter, warned his readers, this is how you can recognize the Spirit of God, every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. It's why the Apostle Paul um, made this very interesting statement at the very beginning of his letter when he wrote to the church in Rome. He said this, concerning his son who was descended from David according to the flesh. (laughs) See, evidently it was a big deal for the writers of the New Testament that Jesus had a human body. That God himself came in flesh. We have to ask why. I mean, why does it matter to Paul, and and why should it matter to us that Jesus descended from David according to the flesh? I want to invite you to turn with me to the book of Hebrews this morning. Book of Hebrews. See if we can discover why it was so significant, why it was so important. If you know Hebrews, the first chapter of Hebrews 
You read that first chapter and you realize that the writer in that first chapter of Hebrews emphasizes Jesus' deity. I mean, he makes a point that Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God and Jesus is the exact imprint of God's nature and Jesus upholds uh, the universe by the power of his word. And we're all good with that. <laughs> we're all good with the idea that Jesus is God, right? But then immediately in the second chapter, the author makes the case that Jesus, the son of God, this one who is the radiance of God's glory, is also with us in our humanity. He is one with us in our humanity. See, like us, he says, Jesus had a human body. In fact, start with me. Chapter 2, Hebrews chapter 2, verse 9. Look what he says here. But we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus. Then uh, look down with me at verse 11. Chapter 2, verse 11. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. That's is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers. The NIV translates the beginning of that verse. He says, uh, both the one who makes men holy and those who are made holy are of the same family. Jesus is the one who makes us holy, and we are the ones who are being made holy. And we are all of the same family. Like us, see, Jesus has a human nature. It is it was physical, touchable, woundable, flesh and blood. The eternal son became a man. And as a result, he is able, the writer of Hebrews tells us, he's able to call us brothers, sisters. Jesus, see, like us, had a human body. But I got to tell you, human nature involves more than just a, a physical body, doesn't it? Jesus' common humanity is also demonstrated in the fact that Jesus exercised faith, just like we do. Like Jesus, Jesus had to trust God. Look with me at verse 13, chapter 2, verse 13. And again, I will put my trust in him. Now, what's happening here is the author is quoting from the prophet Isaiah, back in the Old Testament. Uh, Isaiah chapter 8, verse 17, in fact. Isaiah was prophesying at that time of, a, of, of an intense national decline because uh, Judah was getting enmeshed in idolatry and the, he knew the inevitable injustice that would soon follow. And Isaiah declares that he will still hold to his faith in Yahweh despite the difficulties in his nation, despite the apparent silence at that time of God. And the writer of Hebrews picks up on that, and he's making the point that like Isaiah, Jesus placed his trust and confidence in the Father in the face of opposition and rejection of the Jewish people. See, Jesus was not so far above his difficulties in this life that he never had to depend upon his father. 
In fact, over and over again in the Gospels, we're told Jesus responded, uh, repeated the phrase, I tell you the truth, the son can do nothing by himself. See, Jesus shared our struggles, and in doing so, he placed his full faith in God, like us. Like us, Jesus also faced temptations. I mean, all of us face temptations, right? (laughs) My guess is, if you're like me, um, in the past 24 hours, you have faced a multitude of temptations. So did Jesus. In fact, look down with me at verse 18. Chapter 2, verse 18. But uh, for because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Adam and Eve in the garden were the first humans to face temptation. And it came as a test in the form of a serpent, Satan, in disguise. It was an incitement to disobey God's commands. Likewise, Jesus, in his humanity, was exposed to temptation by Satan. Whereas Adam was tested in a beautiful garden, Jesus went face to face with the temptation of the serpent in a dreadful and barren desert. While Adam had a food in abundance, Jesus fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. In both cases, the temptation was from an outside source. And in both cases, part of the test was to seek to attain divine status by by grasping for it. And while Adam and Eve gave in, (laughs) Jesus remained resolutely faithful. But I got to tell you, the desert wasn't the only place that Jesus was tempted. Throughout his earthly ministry, Jesus faced innumerable testings from opponents and from demons and from wayward disciples. As the writer of Hebrews tells us later on here in in chapter 4, verse 15, Jesus was in every respect tempted as we are. Now that doesn't mean that he was tempted in every way that is possible for a human being to be tempted. I mean, after all, Jesus never faced the temptation to be unfaithful to his wife. I mean, because he was never married, right? What it does mean, though, is that there is no area of life in which he was immune from the attack of Satan. Indeed, no one faced temptation like Jesus did. So no one resisted temptation like Jesus did. Face it, when you walk straight into the face of a windstorm, you will experience the wind's power more strongly than the person who turns and just, you know, goes with the flow, lets the wind carry them along. And Jesus, over and over again, faced temptations, and yet he refused to give in. And he was without sin. One more way that Jesus shared in our humanity. Like us, Jesus endured suffering. Again, down in verse 18. For because he himself has suffered. Of course, when we think of Jesus' suffering, the first place we we go to is um, his greatest uh, place of suffering. That is when he hung on the cross, right? 
Remember this cry of abandonment (laughs) there on that cross? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And yet, we have to realize it'd be wrong for us to simply restrict Jesus' suffering to the crucifixion. I mean, throughout his life, he carried our sorrows and was weighed down by our griefs. I mean, Jesus knew disappointments, physical pain, frustrations of spirit. He grew tired and sore and must have longed for home and and comfort. I mean, Jesus was lied to and falsely rebuked and argued with and disliked and cheated. All of that he experienced. Martin Lloyd-Jones suggests that when the Pharisees said to Jesus, um, you are not yet 50 years old, that there was an implication in that, that Jesus had aged prematurely due to intense burdens that he bore as our Savior in a world of sin. I thought that was interesting. I wonder if that might have been true. I mean, think about it. We have all witnessed um, those um, who had this early aging, we, 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 we watch them and we watch them getting uh, grayer hair or, or adding stress wrinkles <laughs> because they carry such heavy responsibility. We've watched that happen, you know, in government. We've watched that happen in, in, in leadership, in the offices, in work. I mean, would Jesus have been carrying the heaviest responsibility imaginable? I mean, for a love for a world that was lost? I mean, would his human body have been immune from all of that suffering, that stress? Friends, the wonderful truth about the human nature of the Son of God is that Jesus Christ has come near to you. The Son of God became a man. Jesus had a human body. He he had to trust in God. He faced temptations. He suffered. He experienced human life. (laughs) You say, so what? Why does it matter that Jesus was like us? I mean, what's the big deal that he was, was fully human? And what's the purpose of Jesus having a human nature? Well, let me give you three that the writer of Hebrews tells us here. First, because of Jesus' human nature, he could deal with our sin. Look with me back up in verse 14. Since, therefore, the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil. And deliver all those who, through fear of death, were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of people. Listen, if Jesus had not been a man, he could not have died in our place and paid the penalty that was due to us. By his death, Jesus destroyed the power of the devil and brought deliverance for those who were held in death's grip. Jesus had to become a man, not an angel, (laughs) 
Because God was concerned with saving men, not with saving angels. Now, at first glance, God's son dying on a cross, I mean, that, that, that seems to be crazy. I mean, how is dying on a cross a victory for God? I mean, to be crucified was the most humiliating way um, a person could die. It was the kind of punishment that was reserved for the worst of the worst. Um, condemned criminals that Rome wanted to hold up as an example of what might happen to them if they crossed the line. Surely, death on the cross was no way for the Savior of the world to die. It's precisely because of this death that death and all that flows out of it was decisively conquered. It's by the cross that Satan has been destroyed. And because he had no sin of his own, Jesus, the Son of God in human flesh, was able to lay down that perfect human life as a sacrifice for our sins. Your sins, my sins, the world's sins. Second, because of Jesus' human nature, he can understand us. He knows our sufferings. He knows our temptations. And he can sympathize with us. Look with me at the end of verse 10. If a very interesting phrase. Look what he says here. Should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. Perfect through suffering. What's that mean? It doesn't mean that Jesus was imperfect, okay? It doesn't mean that he was defective in any way. Rather, it points to his ministry as our Savior and mediator. It means that through his suffering, Jesus' ministry was brought to completion. It was brought to a, a total success. And now, because he has lived as one of us and experienced the gamut of human life to be tempted, to suffer, to die, he is qualified, unlike anyone else, to know us completely. To know our hurts, our desires, our struggles, our joys. Listen, you and I can face no experience, however severe, that is greater than his capacity to understand and to extend his powerful support. He is able to sympathize perfectly with us. You say, but, I mean, Sutton, what, what's that look like? Well, let me give you 10 examples from Colin Smith of, of, of how Jesus connects to your life. Have you ever felt exhausted? Jesus has been there. He fell asleep in that boat, remember? When the demands on you are great and you, you, you can count on him because he knows. When you feel that you need some, some space and you need just to kind of get alone, I got to tell you, Jesus has been there. Surrounded by crowds, he needed to withdraw and he needed to rest for a while. Do you have loved ones who are deeply resistant to Christ? <laughs> Friends, Jesus has been there. His own brothers and sisters thought that he was out of his mind. 
Do you work in an ungodly environment? (laughs) Friends, Jesus has been there. Professor Donald McLeod says this. He, Jesus, came into a first century Nazareth. He lived where he could see human sin, hear human swearing and blasphemy, see human diseases, and observe human mortality, poverty, and squalor. Do you live with the tension of disloyalty on your team? (laughs) Jesus has been there. Judas was one of the 12, remember? (laughs) But he wasn't with Jesus. He wasn't really on Jesus' team. Have you felt moved by the plight of, of people living without hope? Jesus has been there. He saw crowds of people who, like sheep, without a shepherd, and he had compassion on them. (laughs) Have you ever felt angry about injustice and abuse in our world? Jesus would tell you, me too. I've been there. I mean, he was filled with anger over the self-interest of those temple rulers who had turned the temple designed by God uh, to be a place where Gentiles could seek him in prayer into a marketplace. They turned it into a marketplace where prayer was almost impossible. Have you grieved the loss of someone you love? (laughs) I got to tell you, Jesus has been there. One day, Jesus received news that one of his closest friends had died. And he went to visit, and we saw Mary weeping. He was so deeply moved. It moved to the point of breaking down in tears himself. And people said, you can see how much he loved Lazarus. Let me ask you, is your future so dark you can hardly bear to think about it? (laughs) Jesus has been there. When he came to the Garden of Gethsemane, he was overwhelmed with sorrow, Scripture says. Have you suffered unjustly at the hands of others? Let me tell you, Jesus has been there after this whole week is about, right? Holy Week, just go back and read about Holy Week and you see how Jesus experienced suffering unjustly. Have you ever felt without hope, without help, that you're without comfort, without God? Friends, Jesus has been there. He was nailed to the cross. He was loaded with the guilt of the, of the world. The, the land was plunged into darkness at that moment. He needed most, all a sense of the peace and, and, and presence and blessing of God that was all taken from him. McLeod says, needing God as no man ever needed God, he cried And God was not there. We can never go beyond his pain. Our darkness is never more intense than his. Brothers and sisters, can I tell you? Don't ever say, God doesn't understand. See, when you see the humanity of Jesus, it won't be long before you find yourself saying the Savior has something for me after all because he knows my life. He's been there. 
He knows me. <laughs> Finally, let me give you one more reason why this is so significant. It's because of Jesus' human nature that his triumph brings us to glory. Look back with me at verse 10. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 10. For it was fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. The heart of God is to bring us to glory. That's the heart of God. It's the heart of God that was demonstrated in Jesus' story about the prodigal son where the father, remember him? He was waiting and he was watching and he was standing there on the porch just, just looking uh, continually for his lost son to, to return home. And when he does, when that son does, the father, he breaks all protocol and all the expected norms and he sprints out and he hugs his son and welcomes him home. <laughs> That's the love of God. It is through the son's suffering and sacrifice that the father is able to welcome many sons and daughters home to glory. He participated in suffering, and guess what? We will share in the glory of God. <laughs> Charles Spurgeon said, Emmanuel, God with us in our nature, in our sorrow, in our life work, in our punishment, and in our grave, and now with us, or rather we with him in resurrection, ascension, triumph, and second advent splendor. God's glory. The Father's children are Christ's brothers and sisters. Jesus is son by nature. Guess what? We are sons and daughters by grace. He shared our lot by becoming one of us. And in the end, we will share his lot. Jesus comes to us and stands with us and to act for us. Only as a man could he win our battle. Only as a man could he bear our sin. The Son of God became the Son of Man so the sons of men could become the sons of God. <laughs> In Jesus Christ's human nature, God has come near to you. Back in the 70s, Pastor Clifford Stewart of Louisville, Kentucky, sent his parents a microwave oven as a, uh, a Christmas gift. <laughs> Here's how he recalls the experience. He said, they were excited that now they too could be part of the instant generation. When dad unpacked the microwave and plugged it in, literally within seconds, the microwave transformed two smiles into frowns. Even after reading the directions, they couldn't make it work. <laughs> two days later, my mother was playing bridge with a friend and confessed her inability to get that microwave oven even to boil water. She said, to get this darn thing to work, I would really need to get better directions. You know, I just needed my son to come along with a gift. <laughs> Friends, can I tell you, when God wanted to tell us that he loved us, he didn't send some booklet full of instructions <laughs> that we had to figure out. 
No, he sent his son in human flesh. Jesus is God's personal communication to us. He offers us mercy and grace in our time of need. He knows your life. He knows you. And when you grasp his humanity and you know that he is your champion and redeemer, you will come to him. Let's pray. God, thank you for sending your son and not just in a uh, seemingly or appearing to be in human flesh, but actually taking human nature, becoming like us, becoming us, one of us, (laughs) so that God, you could relate, you could understand, you could pay the price for our sins, you could bring us to glory. Lord, we thank you and praise you For Jesus Christ, not only his deity, but also his human nature. In your son's precious name, amen.